This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, race fans, Hall of Famer Daryl Walter here. You know it's time to drop the green flag on another edition of Meaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. So, hey, pull those bells tight one more time. Here's my buddy Hermie Sadler and Senator Bill Stanley. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's see what they have to say, boys and girls. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. And I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. This is another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. And let me say, good evening, Senator. Good good evening, good morning. I don't know what time it is anymore, but, you know, and this is our unique first adventure. We've recorded this uh, podcast high atop the Stanley Law Group skyscraper overlooking beautiful downtown Richmond, Virginia, the capital of the Commonwealth. We've done it actually at the tech shed in the middle of a small short track in North Carolina. We recorded one that will never see the light of day in a bunker. And now today we're doing something (laughs) more unique than we've ever done before. We're not in the same room. You're in your empire building of Emporia of the Sadler Brothers Oil Company. I'm at the Stanley Law Group mothership. We are looking at each other through Zoom and uh, mm-hmm. and this is kind of unique. I think this is branching out into new ways where we can be bigger, better, and even have a better reach than we've had before. What do you think? Yeah, we're uh, we're learning as we go and trying to find new ways to uh, to to logistically make the show happen. Get great guests, and what a great guest we have coming up on the show today! WWE Hall of Famer turned mayor of. Knox County, Tennessee, Mayor Glenn Jacobs, known to wrestling fans around the world as Kane, will be on the show today. And what a great guy, been a great friend for a long time. And I'm very excited to hear his take on not only wrestling news, but also with, with what fits right along with us on our podcast here. I'm anxious to hear from him about the issues he's facing and what he's doing about those issues as the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. You know, I'm just looking at his bio here. With the WWE, Kane was a three-time world champion, held the WWF championship, ECW championship, world heavyweight championship, one time each, 12-time world tag team champion. I mean, his resume in wrestling is incredible and impressive. But what I also noticed was he went by different names before he came came to Kane. Uh, They had different characters for him. Uh, I guess, is that how people in wrestling kind of get to the point where they're, where they are, or they find a, a, a personality that they stick with because, you know, you've got Stone Cold Steve Austin. I don't know if he was anything but Stone Cold Steve yeah, Austin. Well, a lot of it depends on, you know, where they wrestled at prior to going to WWF, WWE, you know, uh, Glenn had a career, you know, on, on the independent circuit and other smaller organizations before going to the WWF uh, at the time, which he started that in the mid 1990s, 1994, 1995, you know, and once you go to the WWF, then Vince McMahon and his people give you 
the name that they want you to have in their organization so they can trademark it, license it, you know, do all of that. So not in all cases, but in most cases, you see wrestlers that start on the independent circuit and race in, uh, and wrestle in smaller regional areas. They wrestle under certain characters, different names. And then when they get to the WWE, uh, they are given a name by the company that they will have and use throughout their career. But what a career that he had. Uh, he's mostly known and tied to his tag team wrestling days, sometimes feuding with, but kind of tied it to hip with the Undertaker, who, by the way, was just inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame uh, at WrestleMania a couple weeks ago. And uh, so we'll certainly be asking Kane about that, uh, about his career, his other interests. But, I, but I'm really, this guy is just a special, special person. Very smart. I've known him a long time. Um, and I'm really curious to, to, to hear what he's dealing with and how he is dealing with some of the issues. Certainly one of the key things we like to discuss here on this show is small business and the, the struggles of small business, especially during economic times as they are now with inflation and other struggles. And I'm curious to see how involved he is and, and what he's doing and how he's coping with that and trying to lead as mayor of Knox County through some of these times. It's amazing to me. I, you go from being a, a superstar professional wrestler to being a mayor of a county in Tennessee. Uh, that's quite a quite a change in uh, professions, uh, but maybe dealing with the same issues in the sense of, you know, having to be in the spotlight, having a lot of decisions being made for you, but making a lot of decisions for people. And at the same time, I think wrestling uh, is much like politics because uh, you hope you know how the the end's going to come out, but there's always surprises on along the way. So, you know, this is going to be a great conversation with him. And also, also don't forget, while he was wrestling, I mean, he obviously owned and operated small businesses of his own, insurance businesses. Uh, his wife is in, you know, a small business operation as well. So he, you know, let's not let's not just you know, let's don't put him in a box as just being a professional wrestler turned mayor he has a lot of uh, of business acumen uh, operating and owning his own small businesses and and things of that nature so and i think i think his job uh, record uh, and his record as a mayor uh, speaks for itself he's obviously uh, very popular in his area and that's another thing i'd like to find out from him is you know he's obviously very successful as a politician on the local level I, i'd be curious to know does he have any aspirations, political aspirations past that. So that'll be another line of questioning, Senator, that we can uh, hit uh, Glenn Jacobs on to see, you know, is, is he satisfied with, you know, what he's doing? And, uh, you know, as the mayor of Knox County, does he want to do more? And, you know, it'd be a great question to ask him. Having been in the spotlight, having been in a profession which is naturally uh, drawn attention to it by media, television, you know, what would it, what would be the advice he would give somebody who might have had maybe not well might have even had a small wrestling career, but was in the public spotlight, owned small businesses, and then maybe was thinking about a, a, a foray into politics. Hypothetically, what would that advice be that he would give as the mayor of Knox to somebody who might be thinking about or should be thinking about running for the Virginia State Senate in a new Senate district? Just a hypothetical. What do you think? Yeah. Hypothetically, I'm sure you're probably going to hypothetically ask him that hypothetical question. Hypothetically, yes. Because that's what you do on every <laughs> podcast now, is ask that hypothetical question. 
to whoever our guest is. I find it very interesting topic, and uh, and anytime I can make my good friend Hermie Sadler squirm, I'm going to do it hypothetically. Uh, but before we get to all of that, uh, we do uh, we do want to do we have a sponsor yet, or are we still looking for a sponsor for the naming rights to these? Stanley Law Group skyscraper that we typically record from, or the SLG Consulting Motorhome that we've also uh, broadcast from several times. Do we, because we got to update our listeners on that. Then we've got to go to our leaning right moment, which I think you are sponsored at least for a short term deal mm-hmm. on that. And then we get to the turning left moment that I am not currently yet sponsored, but I've my people are talking to other people about finding a sponsor for my turning left moment. Well, I'm, you can see every time we publish this, uh, these podcasts, and especially even the ones that we've gotten in the, in the bank already in the vault, uh, we're getting a lot of advertisement around this podcast. We're growing. Our numbers are growing uh, incredibly so. We're getting very popular. I was at, a, at the racetrack at South Boston. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But people I'd never met before came up and said, love your podcast didn't you know i'm their state senator and they were like man i came on your pod came upon your podcast with you and hermie and we love it and so we're seeing a lot of growth but uh we have naming rights still available in this podcast for even for this mobile studio that the zoom studio that we're uh that we're in, embarking on right now for the first time so uh, if anybody's interested that's still open but the leaning right uh, sponsorship has been fully funded and sponsored by a great business, two great businesses, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, how's your family doing? I mean, you're out there in Emporia right now. I'm looking at you through the TV screen. People can't see that, but how's business? How's everything going? Yeah, well, we're you know the business environment is is difficult. You see it every day. You and I talk about it, you know, privately. Uh, the volatility of the of the fuel uh, market is something that affects us greatly. Not only us as a business, but also the people we serve. Um, people in the forestry business, our farmers, construction workers, uh, construction companies that we deliver fuel to and are partners with, uh, the volatility in the market, not only to retail locations, convenience stores and truck stops, uh, just real, a really challenging time as all the unrest uh, as it relates to Ukraine and Russia and China and all these things. I mean, it's hard to believe that they're affecting businesses and operations and Small, small Southside Virginia town of Emporia, Virginia, but it really, it's a, just a volatile, volatile time. And then you take that and you add uh, issues with inflation, uh, rising labor costs because of the shortage of people in the, in the labor market, supply chain issues, other things. Um, it, you, it's a, you have to keep an eye on your business every day, as you do too, Senator, um, you know, in, in your business. Uh, but even more so in today's environment, because it's very, very easy to, you know, make mistakes or, uh, you know, or, or make decisions that, you know, take one second to make, but could take months to, you know, to overcome, you know, when you're operating, you know, a business. And so, um, you know, we're, we're dealing with things the best we can every day. Our number one priority is taking care of all of our customers and, and providing the best service that we can, whether it be convenience stores, restaurants, um, truck stops, everything uh, at the same time. But the family side, um, good. You know, I'm, uh, as you well know, spending a lot of time watching my youngest, uh, Naomi, uh, play softball for Randolph-Macon, having a great year. Uh, we went to see him play 
uh, earlier this week um, on Tuesday. They had a couple games. They play again uh, this weekend, so that's been great. I, I went uh, yesterday, in fact, and watched Elliott's son, Wyatt, uh, play. He's playing on the JV uh, softball team at the high school, so I went and got, uh, got a chance to go see Wyatt play yesterday, and Haley went with me, and so really enjoying being able to spend this time of year uh, with uh, not only my family, but my brother's family. And, you know, our family, we, when our family travels, we travel large and we all go. And, and also, you know, when we get to the, uh, the leaning right moment, uh, after you give us an update on the general assembly, which you guys came back in and, and, uh, came into special session, you know, also want to talk a little bit about kind of where we stand with our, uh, with our skill game, uh, lawsuit. We haven't really talked about that a lot recently. Hadn't been a whole lot about it in the news and, We've kind of been in, in a holding pattern with all of that, but I think it's important that we keep our not only small business partners, you know, uh, up to date with that. Need to try to keep, you know, people in the, you know, uh, otherwise, uh, you know, other operators and, and 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 people as much as we can updated on that as well. I think that's very important. And and first of all, you know, you you packed a lot into that those statements right there. And so if I can just say. It's wonderful to watch how how important family is to you, Hermie, and as it is to to me as well. Going to those games, that's your priority. That's the promise you made to your daughter. Not only is she like on a team, I think that's ranked six in the in the nation. Six in the nation, yeah. I mean, that's pretty special. Those things only come around once in a in a lifetime, and you know, once they're gone, you never get them back. And it's the ones you miss that you you remember the most, rather than the yeah. ones that you attended. But she's doing a fantastic job, and and I'm just so proud of you to. To see your uh, glow from, you know, after you watch a couple games, you, you come back, we talk on the phone, and, and you're a proud father, and that's that's just an awesome feeling. But I, I'm feeling like as much as you're enjoying sports triumph right now with the Randolph-Macon bumblebees. is bumblebees, right? Bumblebees? Yellow jackets. Oh, yellow jackets. Okay, sorry. Let's and not I forget that you're a Hampton-Sydney graduate, which I know you have a hard time <laughs> saying anything nice about Randolph-Macon, but there are bitter we need rivals. to segregate Randolph-Macon Yellow Jackets softball versus your feelings t- towards Randolph-Macon College as a whole. Yeah, okay? uh, yeah, and, and, I'm, and I'm trying, and you're doing a really good job therapeutically getting me there. You know, and, and Hampton-Sydney is an all-male uh, private college. We're in the ODAC with uh, Randolph-Macon, so we don't have a girls' softball team, so there's really no rivalry there. So I guess I can kind of root for your daughter and her team. And still well, hold that disdain for Randolph Macon that I do, right? If you carry care anything about this relationship or this podcast <laughs> or Saddler Stanley Racing, that would be a prudent thing for you to do. Go sir. Yellow Jackets. Same, <laughs> Go Yellow Jackets. <laughs> now, you know, uh, so the reason why we're separated, too, is we've been up in Richmond and um, – we had, of course, and we'll talk about it in the leaning is it, right is this, Are we going into the no, not yet, leaning not right yet, moment? Not yet. Because if so, you need to mention your sponsor. In a minute. In a minute. But but okay. so why we're separated, usually we do this together. I think this is the first time we've done this apart. And yeah. uh, and so it's a it's an interesting new way to do it. But I think it's working so so far so good. But uh, I am reminded when I come home, because I travel a lot for politics and the law, and my wife holds down the fort, and she's an executive in her in uh, Vista Windows and Doors, and her family business is growing in North Carolina, doing installs for all the Lowe's. If you get your windows or doors you know, from Lowe's and, and they're installed in North Carolina, and her, her territory has grown so much, and she's done such a good job. So that requires her occasionally now to be the one gone. So I had to come back home and take care of the kids this morning and, and get them all up 
and get make sure they had their lunches and make sure they had their books and made sure their homework was done and got their breakfast done. And I have a new appreciation for, and I've had to do this occasionally, but but the timing of it and the, the seamless ability of my wife to do it, Laura can do this almost like in the same way that, you know, you, you breathe in air. For me, uh, I'm, I'm in panic mode. I'm, in, I'm a struggler at this point. I'm, in, I'm, I'm on the struggle bus. So I just really have a brand new appreciation for what she does to keep the trains running. When you and I are off doing our thing with the race team or this podcast or I'm trying a case or in, in session for 60 days that one person handles so much and runs a company at the same time, I feel kind of inadequate right now. I'm not feeling macho and manly. Now, when I dropped off the last child and he was not late and I didn't have to go in there and explain why I was tardy, I felt like a hero. I felt like I'd really won a big case. Um, but, you know, sometimes we don't say how much we appreciate what they do for us, but but you, know, uh, I, I was, you see it when you have to do their job for them because yeah, they're out yeah, doing what it, we're doing usually. Basically, for 25 years, Bill, you know, I don't have a single regret of anything um, related to my NASCAR career or my t- my career with Fox. But basically for 25 years, I was MIA, you know, and my family was very supportive and understanding. They understood the sacrifices I was making, but, you know, I was making a living and, and trying to provide, you know, and I look back now and I, I talked to you and your wife about this a couple of weeks ago. You know, I didn't really get of all the things I was blessed with and continue to be blessed with uh, career and racing and television and now small businesses and, you know, relationship with you and the podcast and the race team. I and mean, what an unbelievable life and, and blessed in so many ways. But one thing that I never really got was that period of time when, you know, after Cora was born, my first child, you know, she went to the races, you know, off and on with us for a year or two. Um, and, and we were starting to have that, you know, family traveling together to the races and taking the family on the road. But then when my middle child was born and ultimately was diagnosed at age of two with autism, that put an end to my family being able to travel with me consistently to the racetrack. So we didn't have the family unit traveling together to the racetrack every weekend as I had hoped and envisioned. Because once Haley was diagnosed and we kind of came up with a treatment plan for her, she had to go to a special school. Uh, She started off at the Faison and some other schools first, but ultimately ended up at the Faison School for Autism uh, there in Richmond. And so my wife, Angie, had to transport her back and forth daily to school at Richmond. And then ultimately we transitioned her back into the private, you know, but she wasn't able Haley was it wasn't her it was not in her best interest to be traveling. She needed to be in a routine environment where she was getting help and therapies and things of that nature to try to give her a chance to be a productive member of society now. And I believe 20 years later she is. Um, but back in those days, so my point is being that I didn't have that family time. For, for, for those years of my career and into my TV career because of the obligations we had uh, with with Haley and how it affected the rest of my family, Angie had to be responsible for that. So I traveled alone basically for the last 15 years of my career. Um, and so when I retired from TV, and we talked about this on a previous podcast, uh, Elliot and I both, 
when I retired from, from, from TV, in essence, retired from traveling, I made some commitments to my family, one of which to my daughter, Naomi, when she signed uh, a scholarship to play softball at Randolph-Macon, that I promised her that I would be at all of her games. And I've tried my best to uphold that, you know, for her because she saw me struggle with the fact of, you know, my oldest daughter cheered for four years for UNC and I made some of her games, but I missed 75% of them because I was working and I just didn't want to do that, you know, with, with, I didn't want to, I wouldn't call it a mistake and Cora understood what my obligations were, but to wrap it all back around to get to your point, I'm trying to find a better balance now with, you know, with my life and the other obligations that I have, not only to the, to our family business, but also to, you know, mine and your business interests that we have that are, that are very important that we have obligations to, but I'm trying to um, manage all of that in a way that um, I can make everybody happy. And that's not always easy, but I'm doing my best. I think you're doing a great job. And I think, you know, look, family comes first. I believe it. You believe it. And the, the contract that you signed basically with your daughter, I think is a, a good one because when you're watching a game, you're not by yourself. Usually you're with your wife and your family, other members sure. like that. So it's a family occasion, just like with Sadler Stanley racing, you know, we got the motor coach and uh, pack the family up in it. And, you know, when I'm in the general assembly, I'm gone for two months. I'm usually making up for the next eight months, the money that this firm did not move, make, or, or lost. And uh, so I, I really don't get a vacation. So actually the, the race team is providing me with like a little weekend getaway with my family, my youngest, and yeah. all my children. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, even though we're there, we're just there to watch and to support, but, but it's a great time and it really matters. And those are times that I didn't have before. And I have now, and you know, it's a heck of a lot of fun, but, uh, but everybody needs the time to get away and to de-stress and, you know, and and take in some other things and hit the reset button as far as your daily life and your job and all that. And uh, as I've told you several times on off the record phone calls, as soon as softball season's over, I'll be joining you guys uh, on a regular basis on the road at the racetrack, uh, which we do want to talk a little bit more about Saddle Stanley Racing uh, on our leaning uh, excuse me, turning left. I don't have the banner. I got to put a banner yeah. in my office. So <laughs> you the post. Remember the damn name to the show. I wrote it down uh, here on a piece of paper. A turning left moment. But let's get to our leaning uh, right moment. We want to talk about the, you guys were brought back in special session uh, by the governor. But I think, first of all, you need to tee off your leaning right moment because you, and I'm second happy week to, in a row. second week in a row, your segment of this show is sponsored by who? Ladies and gentlemen, the leaning right moment in the Sadler and the Senator broadcast is brought to you by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe and the Virginia Tasting Cellar, all located in beautiful downtown Farmville, Farm Vegas, Virginia, right next to the Greenfront Furniture Warehouse. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to go furniture shopping, go see your kids at Longwood University or the great Hamden Sydney College, and you want to get a fine and good meal when you're there in Farmville, then look no further than Charlie's Waterfront Cafe. All great American food, a great chef, a great owner in Tom Graziano, a great atmosphere. It's overlooking the beautiful Appomattox River. They've got indoor dining, outdoor dining, and let's just say you want to relax. Maybe you don't even want a meal just yet, and you've been shopping for furniture all day. You can go right down into their basement 
which has been redone into stalls, and it's a beautiful historic Are you paying 60 seconds for a commercial? So He's paying more this week for this one. Okay, good. And the, okay, good. <laughs> so, keep talking, Senator. And down there are their stalls, and the Virginia winemakers that come down in and serve what they grow in Virginia, what they, what they make in Virginia, this wine. You can come down and get a great uh, bottle or glass of wine right there at the Virginia Tasting Cellar. You got it all when you, when you show up at Charlie's Waterfront Cafe. Great food, great fun, great music, a great bar, a great place to hold an event or a birthday party. And also, if you just want to relax with your significant other, go down to the Virginia Tasting Cellar, get yourself a wonderful glass of wine from one of our great Virginia wineries. You won't regret it. You can't miss it. Please go do it. This segment brought to you by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe. Huh. <laughs> sponsor. <laughs> I got a sponsor. That's an awesome commercial. I got a sponsor. I got a sponsor. You got a sponsor. Look at you. You ain't got a you sponsor. Like the guy in the victory lane with days of thunder. We got a sponsor. Got a sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. New Year's resolutions are just hard to keep up with, but saving money is easy at SaveWithConrad.com. Wouldn't 2022 be easier with lower monthly payments? Get the best rate you've ever had, pay off your credit card debt, and even get the cash you need right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to get started, and you can even skip your next two house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Find out how much money you can save for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at Exit 12. The Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on Exit 11B off I-95. And Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina. That's Exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. So, so uh, you guys were called back to Richmond by Governor Yunkin uh, by a special, uh, special session to get started. Just from the outside looking in, it appears the, the main reason for that was work on uh, the two-year budget that you guys as the House and Senate are responsible for 
negotiating uh, before sending something to the governor. So uh, update us on what the process was like by you guys coming back in uh, to the chamber in Richmond. What did you have to do to kind of get back to work again and what was accomplished and where do things stand? God, I wish I had a lot to tell you. Um, the most exciting thing that happened on Monday, well, two things. One was that um, my dog bills, the Beagle bills, you know, of the in the Invigo Beagles that you and I have adopted and and love so very much and, and the regulatory process that we put in place trying to make sure that those beagles are treated humanely if they're going to be bred for experimental purposes were signed on the steps of the executive mansion by the governor. We had a huge turnout with legislators and and stakeholders and and about a dozen beagles. It was a really wonderful opportunity to to demonstrate in the Commonwealth of Virginia that we can still, although not as much as we used to, vote for legislation unanimously across the aisle. Uh, the bills passed 40 to nothing, which is unanimous in the Senate, 100 to nothing in the House, which is unanimous as well. And so that was a, a great opportunity to demonstrate, even with Democrat legislators and Republican legislators sitting with the Republican governor, that when we put our minds to it, when there's an important issue in the Commonwealth of Virginia, we can all come together and find a solution that we can agree on, no matter where we're from and what we're there for. We left there, went across the road into the, uh, into the chamber. We formed up, uh, you know, usually in the Senate and the House, when we adjourn what's called sine die, it is done. Uh, we dissolve the body. That way we're a temporary body. We're not a 24-7 like Congress is. So we have to reform if we do because we're out for the whole year and we'll <clears throat> usually reform up the next year. So we, uh, the governor sent down a proclamation. We argued for a certain resolution. One of the points in that resolution that was a problem for the Democrats, at least in the Senate side, was that the resolution would take up certain matters. One, the, the two-year budget. Two, the 47 bills that were still in what we call conference committees. Bills that had passed House and Senate, but in different forms and had to be reconciled. Judges. And then the last thing was any bills handed down by the governor uh, during special session. The Democrats didn't want to do it. And they fought it for a while. They backed off. But the argument was simply this. They were afraid and didn't want to have to deal with a bill from the governor that would create a gas tax holiday, which would waive the gas tax, the state charged gas tax, which I think, I mean, it's like 39 cents right now, something like that, um, that they would waive right, the tax right. that way, passing on to the consumers, that kind of savings to ease what inflation and the conflict in Ukraine have, have created with the supply shortage and the higher gas prices. We Republicans think that's the way we should do things. I mean, we shouldn't be taking money from our constituents, from the citizens of Virginia, when they're going through hard times. And that 39 cents, that, that amount of money per gallon adds up, puts money back into the pocketbooks and the wallets of fathers and mothers, and puts food on the table in the Commonwealth. It's a significant savings. You'd think it's a no-brainer. There are 17 other states doing it. And the Democrats in the Senate say, nah, nah, because it might take away some money from their roads and Hampton Roads in Northern Virginia. They want to build another hot lane on I-66 or 495, where they can charge outrageous tolls anyway, uh, they're worried that that would take away money from infrastructure, and particularly when well, most you, of that money think, goes to you, the roads. Do you think, let's be honest, do you think most of it is really a concern about taking money away from something and giving it to the people, or is it more about them not wanting the governor to be able to stand on TV and say, I delivered this for you people? I think it's both. I, and that's a great question. I think it's really both. I think, you know, when it comes down to it, they've set out that uh, kind of a little bit of sour grapes. I mean, you know, uh, 
that they weren't going to help with Youngkin's day one agenda. They've kind of stalled some of his appointments, rejected some of his appointments out hand on the parole board, which I think kind of, as we talked about earlier in an earlier podcast, hurt them, uh, rejected their his appointment for EPA because the, the gentleman dared work for Donald Trump. And so uh, we're seeing that kind of bleed through to other policy decisions where if it was, let's say if it was Terry McAuliffe that had beaten Glenn Youngkin, Terry McAuliffe sends down this bill for a gas tax relief for the citizens of the Commonwealth during this time, a three-month, 90-day to 120-day gas tax relief bill, I bet you they'd be dancing around it. It'd be on their brochures. They'd be touting it in their weekly addresses that they send to their constituents. So I don't think it's the policy in that regard, and that's why I think you're right there, Herm. Uh, that's that's really good senatorial thinking. You should, you know, that, that, that would make you a great senator someday. But I think it's, um, I think it's, it's, it's got to be a part of it. You know, I think offered by another, offered by a Democrat, we're talking about a different thing. We've got a Democrat state like Maryland um, with, a, with a Republican governor, but Democrat-controlled legislature passed that legislation with a gas tax holiday very easily. Joe Biden's administration is considering a gas tax holiday from the federal taxes they're paid at the rack. It really seems to be at least partially Yunkin is the governor and it's his idea. We're not going to give him another win. But I think, too, they do. They worry about that money being taken away from Northern Virginia and Hampton Roads, the, where they have a lot of consolidated political power. And and certainly a lot of that money doesn't go to Emporia or Franklin County uh, in, to the degree that it does in Northern Virginia. So I think they feel that loss as well. And so, you know, we have seen in different states where gas tax relief from the state government has really made a difference in, in the price at the pump. Right now, what do, what are you selling gas for around there for, per gallon? Uh, in town, uh, in the three eighty nine range. Okay, so we're talking about maybe three fifty. I mean that that yeah. can be a significant savings. Sure, I and, mean it's it's huge, and that's that's the thing I think people forget is Democrats, and I guess you know certain to a certain degree Republicans too have ways or or, or sales pitches to to people that they think are going to vote for them or they want to vote for them. But you can say what you want to about the people that Republicans think they're helping or Democrats think they're helping. But the challenges we're facing is hurting everybody. Right. Everybody uh, has to put gas in their car, go to the grocery store, energy cost. I mean, everything is, nobody's, you know, exempt from that. And it's just a shame that people are having, you know, people having to make decisions about really what's important and what to spend their money on. And the Democrats have made so much about minimum wage. We're going to $11, $12, $13. We'll get to $15 as soon as we can. And all of those gains to this point have been completely wiped out because of the issues of inflation. That's not even, you know, so it's a net loss still for middle to lower income families, even with the raise in, in wages that we've been forced to do, even if we don't even know if somebody is a uh, an honest employee, somebody that's going to show up, can they, they be trained? You know, all these things. So wages are up, but inflation is outpacing that. So it's a net loss. And it's a really frustrating concept that a lot of people just truly don't understand uh, how they're being negatively impacted 
uh, by some of these policies. Well, you know, and a lot of people are looking at the gas stations right now, including yours or, or gas station operators, small operators that we have right out here outside my door at the office here at the Mothership of Stanley Law Group. And they think you're just making money hand over fist, that you guys are manipulating the market price, that your margins have to be high. But that's really not the case, is it? No. Um, we have to pay whatever the rack charges us every day. We it, There's no negotiating for us. We have to pay what the rack, uh, the, and the rack is affected by the market and the volatility and a lot of other things. And when we put the gas in the ground at one of our retail sites, whether it be a convenience store or a truck stop, then regardless of what we pay for it, we have to price competitively based on what other people in in our area are priced at. And those things are affected. So many people price so many different ways. You have smaller rural market convenience stores that may have not bought a tank a load of gas and two or three price in there, some of them based on what's in the ground. And that could be 50 cent higher or 50 cent cheaper than gas that we're buying every day. And some people keep their margin down at the pump just to get people inside to try to sell more inside stuff. But we average at our, you know, right now at our uh, rural area convenience stores, we're averaging less than 15 cent a gallon margin at the pump. And, and that's, that's a that, lot of gallons got, just to make a little bit of money. I mean, you've well, got to pump a lot places of fuel. Have, most places have between 800 and a million two tied up just in petroleum equipment, pumps, tanks, otherwise. And we've got tractor trailers and drivers and insurance and freight, other freight costs and all that and, and included with all that too. So, And look, here's another big one that nobody ever thinks about. Credit card fees. Hmm. As fuel costs or gas prices at the pump have gone up. People use their credit cards. We're responsible for those fees. So when the cost of gas goes up, we have to absorb a credit card fee that's averaging seven to eight cents per gallon for every gallon pumped, we assume in a credit card fee. So it's truck stop here in Emporia. I mean, we, uh, last year, almost $800,000 just in credit card fees that we had to assume. Wow. So, and we, and we can't really factor those in, as I said, we have to charge, you know, we have to stay competitive, you know, in the market based on what other people charge and other people have different agendas and different costs and buy at different times. So it's a, it's a very delicate uh, situation that, you know, and usually two or three cent a gallon swings in the market from day to day is big, but in the last two months, two and a half months, we've seen, 50 cent jumps, a dollar jumps a day in cost at the rack. So that means when I send an 8,000 gallon tank tractor trailer to the, to the market and it goes up a dollar a gallon, that's 8,000 more dollars that I, I'm paying for this load that I paid for the load we got yesterday. So it's a, it's a lot. And it's a, you know, we're all looking forward to a time when things not only get more economical, but when the market settles back down so that we can better plan and better pass along fair costs to our consumers at the pumps. You know, and these higher gas prices have two effects. One, because clearly, from what you're telling me, you're making your money on the chips, the sodas, the stuff that's on the inside of the store, not really on the gas at the gas pump. Uh, you're, it sounds like sometimes you're, you're breaking even, sometimes you're making a little bit. But then you've got transportation issues, the truckers, the cost, inflation. 
the prices are going up. And quite frankly, I'm seeing, and, and somewhat even at the racetracks that we go to, people are traveling less because it really is making a difference. You're trying to conserve fuel, which then takes money out of other businesses that they might otherwise uh, travel to or other events that they might go to. And so that's what really makes skill games even more important to keep with these convenience stores. You call them C stores, truck stops, restaurants, bars, because that's the difference maker between, let's say, not even the gas, but the higher price of doing business with what you sell, whether it's chips or or food at a restaurant or even alcohol prices at a bar. Those things are going up, plus your employment costs are going up. They're, the revenue is still the same. The margins start shrink, shrinking between cost and profit. And and how you make the difference up is, is quite frankly, from what I'm seeing uh, for these small businesses, has been these legal, legal skill games, these six to 10,000 that are out in the marketplace right now pursuant to our injunctive order. Uh, that's the difference maker, just as it was in the pandemic. I mean, would you agree with me on that? I, I think that's probably yeah, yeah, the difference I mean, and, between staying open and being closed. Yeah, I mean, our cost, our cost of goods at convenience stores through the roof, labor cost through the roof. Uh, we also in the restaurant industry, we, you know, we don't have skill games at our restaurants, but a lot of people do uh, across the Commonwealth. And, you know, food cost, cost of beef, steaks, chicken, everything is just, you know, and so to, to try to prevent from having to, and we've had three price increases in our restaurants already uh, this year uh, because costs continue to go up. But one of the, one of the ways that we've been able to not really pass along all the costs to consumers is, is some of the revenue that we do generate from these, as you said, legal uh, skill games that, that we and other small business owners and operators across the Commonwealth are getting to operate under our temporary uh, injunction uh, that we gained, earned uh, back um, in early December. So let's go right into that. Uh, as part of the, we talked about you guys in special session working on a budget. We don't have a budget yet. Uh, my two questions, when do you think we'll have a budget and how does this dead zone time or, or this period while we're waiting for a budget to be negotiated, how does it affect our court case? Because right now, as we sit here today, we're scheduled to go back to court on May 18th as we search to try to get a permanent injunction for businesses to be able to operate these games, continue to operate them legally as they should. Well, I'm not uh, a prognosticator. I, I don't read minds, but I, if I had to look at it with a $3 billion difference, even though it's been there's been promising things said by both sides on trying to work together and find a budget. I don't see us getting a budget together, say, until June. I even had a, a former uh, chairman of Senate Finance, who I'm very good friends with, and he was in the Senate a long time and alum to death. Walter Stashi and I were having a conversation, and he predicted about June. And so as it affects our lawsuit, uh, the potential is is that someone may try to write into that budget. You can sometimes legislate through the budget write laws that have a two-year effect, some kind of regulatory scheme or ban of skill games, which may be, and I would think is, unconstitutional, just a variation of what we're dealing with in our court case in, in the court declaring Senate Bill 971, the amendments to the uh, gambling statutes of Virginia, unconstitutional. So we may have to fight two battles, and that is a new battle. So, you know, we, we may go to, there's two options. We're either going to go to court, we're going to win, 971 is declared unconstitutional, but meantime, 
they put in something in the budget. And now we've got to start over again. We've got a brand new lawsuit. We've got to go after them and fight and, uh, and fight on those grounds. Or maybe we move it off a little bit and try to take it all up at once. Uh, that way we're not wasting the court's time. Uh, that leaves a little, you know, something up in the air. If we come out in March, um, with a budget as we were supposed to, when we adjourn sine die, um, then we'd know where we stood, and, and and definitely we there would be not this unknown that's out there right now. There's this unknown that's out there of, of what they're going to do in the budget, or if they're going to do anything with the budget that may affect skill games and small businesses. Might have more government overreach coming at us that we need to fight in the court of law, in order to protect you and small businesses. So there's a lot that is the unknown still. Um, the only good thing is we have to have a budget by July 1st. Our localities need to know how much money they're going to have for the next two years for their schools, for their public safety, and some of their priorities. And that affects them. So, you know, at least we have a hard stop. We have a, a chain link fence with barbed wire called July 1st that will get us a budget. Uh, but how long it will take between now, here in April, until July is anyone's guest. And probably only known by the people that are the conferees that are picked by the chairman of each money committee to serve to hammer out the differences. And then don't forget about that either, Hermie. They can hammer out a budget. We vote on it. If we reject it, we start over. Uh, If we pass it in both chambers, it goes to the governor. The governor can then amend it, and then it comes back to us to either accept or reject his amendments. So there is still many more miles to travel. A lot of moving parts and pieces. You are exactly right. And so – it's, it's going to be something that we're going to have to watch and be very careful of. But ultimately, you know, our goal is to fight um, government overreach. Our, our, our job is to fight for small business, and, and we're ready to do that. In fact, I was saying earlier, the, two good things happened today on Monday. One was um, getting my Beagle bills signed, and the second was seeing you in the afternoon in the bunker as we started to strategize how we were going to put that case together and all the contingencies that might exist. And so... Uh, I thought we had a very good meeting, and we're, we'll be ready. Um, but we have to make sure that we're doing it the right way, and we need the time to do that. The good news is the court to this point uh, in our lawsuit has, uh, by the decisions the court has made, we we feel strongly that that we are right and that SB 971 is unconstitutional. Uh, that was, in my mind, verified by the Supreme Court of Virginia. So regardless of what they try to throw at us, we've got a court and the Supreme Court that have basically ruled on this issue on as it relates to SB 971 and how it's applied to our games of skill. We feel like we've got a good foundation to stand on. Well, and and don't forget, though, the people that may be wanting to urge our legislators to put something into the budget at this point in time aren't concerned citizens, aren't... uh, aren't constituents. It's the big business part of gambling that that sees little small businesses engaging in the marketplace in a very limited way through skill games as the enemy, which is kind of foolish to me. It's as if a big giant seven foot five guy looks down and sees the the five foot four guy and says, that guy is a risk, Um, you know, and I need to take him out. Um, Just based on size alone, they dwarf all of our small businesses. And quite frankly, the, the skill games that are in these small businesses don't threaten uh, the casinos or or anything else, uh, Rosie's, those kind of things. In fact, I think they can enhance this emerging industry and bring much-needed tax revenues to our localities and our, and our state. What we're seeing right now with that in the skill games is that a lot of a proliferation of illegal gaming is coming up. 
and they're calling they're kind of lumping them into the the coda of skill games, you know, quote unquote skill games. When they're not, they're games of chance. Uh, they're not even close to what a skill game really is, and they're popping up because the law has been vague. Uh, 971 made it worse after the skills game ban went in effect on July 1st. We saw a proliferation of illegal gaming, gaming parlors, and those kind of things. And I think uh, the big interest, the gambling interest casinos are seeing that as really what the threat is uh, because it's like, you know, some of those weeds that grow in your yard. Once they get root, then they spread and it's hard to get rid of. And and those are the things we're looking at right now. And then small businesses are uh, trying to put them into certain areas, go to their local governments, and local governments are doing one of two things. They're saying, you need a special use permit. Or and then they deny it, and but a lot of what these uh, small business owners want are not the games that are allowed to be in Virginia right now, not the stickered games that were um, monitored by the ABC during the one-year period where ABC regulated very well skill games. What you're seeing is these illegal games, and they're trying to call them skill games. And then the other thing that local governments are looking at is trying to say, well, if you have a skill game, then we're going to classify your business as an adult entertainment center which I don't think flies, especially a gas station is not an adult entertainment center. It's kind of exactly the opposite. If you've listened to our earlier podcasts in 971, they said, well, you're, you're illegal unless you're a family entertainment center and family entertainment centers like Chuck E. Cheese and, and uh, Dave and Buster's can have these games, but you can't. That's the, one of the cruxes of our, of our argument of why it's unconstitutional. Now we're seeing where they're trying to regulate and turn skill games into adult entertainment, which would then limit who can come into uh, the establishment and the times of operation and even the location. So uh, these are the fights that are coming out of branching out of what we're doing right now. Hopefully we'll bring some sanity very quickly uh, and some clear delineations of what is right and what is wrong, what is legal and what is illegal, what is a skill game and what is a game of chance. And that way our localities can enforce it. One other thing, then we'll move to the turning left moment quickly. I know we Running out of time in this segment, we want to bring. Uh, no, we're not Jacob running out of time. We can do this all day because we're not even next to each other. Just BS. You're the, the time, one so. that didn't want a two-hour podcast. No, no, I'm enjoying tight. this. I'm enjoying this conversation, Herm. I mean, um, that's why I didn't call you I last night. Sure, I want to make sure people understand this: that the General Assembly was in such a hurry, or had tunnel vision in regards to banning skill games, and in such a hurry, push through SB 971, my personal opinion, not yours and not anybody else I've talked to, but my personal opinion is they did not take enough time to think about what was going to happen with the illegal gaming market once they took away the oversight of the ABC. So their number one concern was ban our legal operating skill games in convenience stores, truck stops, and restaurants. But in by doing that, they took away the ABC, which they did a great job, by the way, mm-hmm. took away the ABC oversight to try to police what our games are and where they were and how they will operate. So once they took that away, starting July 1, even starting prior to July 1 of last year, when people knew this was coming, the illegal games started popping up. They even contacted me. They wanted to go in my places you know, popping up little vape shops and hole in the wall, putting 20 games in a place, and they are not legal. So the people that are trying to hurt us are now trying to say, all of y'all are one big industry. All of y'all are illegal, and you're here, and you're not ready. Look, people in in my line of work that want the legal operating 
operation of skill gains, we want to be regulated. We want to be have a number of gains in each location regulated. We want oversight. We want taxation. We want all the things because we want our industry to be clean. And there are a lot of people that are trying to muddy the waters between small business owners that have always done it the right way and want to be regulated and operate the right way. And there's some people that don't care what the law is and are going to operate the way they want to, to try to stay one step ahead of the law regardless. And it's kind of, um, it ticks me off in a way that people want to kind of throw us all in together when we're not. Right. And so that's what, if people take nothing else from this little segment we're talking about, people that operate these games illegally in convenience stores, truck stops, and restaurants, we want to be, we want to have a certain number of games in each location. We want maybe an ABC license establishments only to be able to operate these games. We want to be taxed. We want to be regulated. We want to be good members of society. We want to be taxed and have the money go towards good causes in the localities and towards the Commonwealth of Virginia. So don't let anybody tell you any different that we're trying to get operate any other way other than what I'm telling you. And it's their own General Assembly's fault that they opened up this um, this uh, black market, you want to call it, but it's not us. It's the people that are not trying to operate legally anyway. And so we all need to unite us, casinos, Rosies, everybody. We need to unite together to go after these illegal games once we can get uh, the issue of 971 resolved. Totally agree with you. All right, let's talk about something else. Hold on, but let's close by saying this. With regulation, then you can actively and quickly get rid of illegal gaming because the simple regulatory process that the ABC put in place when we, the General Assembly, rushed it on them was a brilliant and simple way of determining what is right and what is not right. And so right. hopefully we'll get back to that. And, and and actually ABC, the chief deputy officer of ABC testified at our hearing in December that they had no issues with the oversight and regulation of that industry and thought they did a great job as did we. Yep. And we really miss, continue to miss that oversight and regulation that they will provide. Let's hope we get uh, get back to that way because it's going to help small business. And we're still in that period of time where small business needs to be helped. And it does not affect the other gambling industries uh, such as casinos and Rosies that are coming in the future. And so this Leading Right Moment was brought once again to you by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe and the Virginia Tasting Cellar located in beautiful downtown Farmville, Virginia. Now, now <laughs> we're going to be turning left with Hermie Sadler. Now it's time for the uh, unsponsored turning left uh, moment. <laughs> if anybody is interested, uh, I mentioned last week I'm charging $10 per mention for yep. my turning left uh, moment. Now, as a matter so of fact, I, I have someone right here who has texted me, a very good friend of mine who listens to the podcast with his autistic son, Harry, who is a wonderful kid, Lee Talley. Uh, Lee is a wonderful guy. Uh, we brought Harry to the Richmond race, which we're going to talk about, and he loved it. Uh, yep. He even went to the Sunday race um, with NASCAR, but he was at the NASCAR wheeling race when we had Ryan Newman out there, and he said he will pay for five episodes. The Your turning left moment will be uh, sponsored by the Committee to Draft Sadler for Senate. Now, what? what? Yes. Sponsored by the Committee to to. Draft Sadler for Virginia Senate. How do you like that? 
Sounds good. Mm. You'd have to read it too. So I would have liked to have been prepped on that before being on the air. Um, Why would I do that? <laughs> good question. I got to remember. See, so so I'm going to read it exactly as Lee sent it to me. And we send our regards to Harry out there. He's a great fan and we're a great fan of his. I'll okay. sponsor for 60 bucks, four episodes for turning left moments under the coalition to draft Hermie Sadler to run for state Senate. 60 bucks. 60 bucks for four episodes. I mean, that's more than the 10 you're offering. Yeah, he's I, I over sponsoring the segment. I smell a winner. He's over sponsoring the segment. <laughs> I smell a winner. I think all you got to do is all you got to do is check the box. Check yeah. the box, Hermie. Uh, let's get to the turning left moment. <laughs> Uh, of the week, um, you know, big weekend of racing. Almost brought to you by the Coalition to Draft Hermes Sadler for Senate. <laughs> Almost brought to you by. We'll see you next Almost. week. <laughs> um, the Sadler Stanley Racing had a overall pretty good weekend on the racetrack. We, uh, for the first time ever, we kind of ran back-to-back nights. We had, uh, you know, last week on the podcast, we had NASCAR legend Ryan Newman. On the show, he drove our car uh, in the NASCAR Wheeling Modified Tour Race at Richmond. Qualified top five, led some laps, had some mechanical issues, finished 13th. But overall, what a, what a great feather in the cap for Saddle Stanley Racing to have a driver like Ryan Newman uh, agree and to pilot our car at Richmond uh, last Friday night. Man, he looked like he was having a good time, and uh, he was so gracious to everybody. Uh, it was great to see him back in a in a fire suit and and hop in a car. That's where he should be. Uh, you know, we talked when we talked with Ryan. I don't know why we're not seeing him in NASCAR full time anymore, but we'll take him anytime we can. He looked like he knew what he was doing out there. I think he can win. What are we doing to talk him into getting back into what is the sixteen car, but for purposes of wheeling the thirty nine VA? We working on that? Yeah, I mean we we're having some ongoing chats and. He has some of the things going on, some of the same things going on that I do from a family perspective. And he uh, he's very into his kids. Uh, one of his kids is racing. They're also involved in in horses and other things. And so he's he's trying to properly manage uh, uh, daddy duties as well as he wants to race a little bit. So he and I are having some conversations. And I'm I'll just say this for right now: I am confident that race fans can expect to see Ryan Newman back behind the wheel of the Sadler Stanley racing open wheel modified sooner than later this year. How about that? That would be great. Make sure you tell me before it happens. <laughs> so no, I'm going to do, I'm going to do just like you do. I'm going to just roll it out here and say, by the way, Senator, we got Ryan Newman in the car coming up this weekend. So send me a check for ten grand to cover your hat. Oh, yeah, that? All right, that's fine. That's probably <laughs> the best way to do it because then I won't have time to think about it. Actually, but, I'll just send, send a note to your wife. And that's the probably the best way to get it paid. Um, Excuse the background noise. Haley is doing her daily chores here at Saddle Brothers Oil Company, emptying the trash, and she has slammed my door twice. Tell, um, tell her so, I said hello, please. Uh, yeah, well, I've got so Chad. We went, Chad's over here looking at me, so I've been chatted a couple times. I didn't tell you. Uh, Chad's up to his old antics at the same time. But uh, no, it's it, the 39 was a great, you know, that's his old number. It looked great yeah. out there. Uh, yeah. It ran well. Stefanelli's team. And, and we is, even is had Chad Jonathan Brown in the box. trying to cut the segment off? Is that what he's trying to do? No, no. He just kind of has, you know, these weird looks. And then you're like, what? Yeah. And then he doesn't say anything. And then he did that to okay. Newman. Had that work mm-hmm. out for him last exactly. week. Exactly. Exactly. See, I'm just, <laughs> unlike Newman, where Newman went, what? <laughs> 
what? I'm trying to just avoid uh, saying So we anything. also want to quickly mention that Saturday night, we moved our team, Phil Stefanelli and the Sadler Stanley Racing Team, moved over to the legendary, historic South Boston Speedway in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Your old track. And our full-time driver, Jonathan Brown, qualified in the top five, finished second. Uh, and you were at that race uh, in person. So tell us uh, how the day went for the Sadler Stanley race. Well, it was an exciting race. I mean, it's a great racetrack to begin with. Uh, it was a 99 lap race. It was uh, in honor of Ray, the flying uh, Ray Hendrick. Um, and uh, they drove his old open wheel modified around the track in the opening pace laps. We fought to the front, um, had a good first pit stop. Um, we did very well. We, we just got outlasted by a guy that took tires later, but Jonathan drove so wonderfully. We had a huge wreck on the front stretch about a third of the way in uh, that stopped the race for about 40, 45 minutes. We didn't miss a beat. We moved up through the field. Uh, we, event, we eventually led a bunch of laps uh, just right till the, the end, but we had gotten our tires at lap 37. This guy got tires in, in, I think it was lap 75 or 76 of the 99, so he he was able to march from about eighth position up to the top, and and even though we we couldn't keep pace with that, we kept right on his tail, nose to tail, and and it was a wonderful, wonderful race. And for anybody that wants to see this open wheel modified, you can see the Smart Tour Series on FloRacing.com, FLORacing.com. Uh, I've watched it three times. It's compelling race television. It was really well filmed and and videoed and recorded, and and I think and our announcer Eric is a wonderful guy. So you need to see that now on the Ryan Newman. Uh, race that's going to show up on on cable TV on the USA Network on April 9th at 4 p.m. So you can watch the Richmond race there uh, and see what uh, the Sadler Stanley Racing Team is doing uh, on both tracks. You can go to Flow Racing and then watch it on USA Network. But man, it was an exciting race all the way to the finish. We had a big crowd there. Pacematic had a bunch of people out there. Our, our main sponsor on the car. Um, we had the 39 displayed. Everybody was asking if it was going to get back out on the track. It had the Simply Southern and the Pacematic uh, logos on that one as well that Ryan had ridden the night before. And so it was a great weekend, great weather, and we had a huge crowd. And the best part was during the, the Hornets, which is Hornets race, which is like homemade, homegrown cars, little uh, kind of uh, Japanese automaker cars that go around. Uh, one guy got uh, spun by another guy, and he waited for the guy to come back around. He, and he looked like an older jet, and he threw his helmet perfectly at that I other car, the, which made the made the crowd roar. The, the, the Tony Stewart of Bristol from years ago. It yeah. was, and and he had a good arm too. I mean, he he chucked that for a good fifteen feet, and he he nailed them perfect. So, those and were some of the highlights. So our podcast, you know, will uh, you know launches on Thursday, but so those that listen to this podcast prior to the weekend, let's go ahead and tell them that. The Smart Modified Tour is coming to Franklin County. Yes. Uh, this weekend in your district, Senator. So, what yes. can they expect with the Smart Modifieds going around that little bull ring? Well, I tell you what, uh, Franklin County is a smaller track, three tenths, and uh, but it's it's the raciest track you'll see in in all of the historic Virginia short tracks in Callaway, Virginia, Franklin County Speedway. They only take cash, twenty dollars when you come in. You, you hand it to them just as you're driving through the uh, to get to the parking lot. But I'm telling you what, some of the best racing you'll ever see is there. Uh, they've got 24 cars signed up, and they're thinking there'll be a 26 or 27 total. Uh, usually you'll get a couple thousand fans out there um, guaranteed. It's on Sunday. The race starts at 5. The, uh, the gates open at 1 p.m. Uh, we're, we're all going to be out there in, in full force, but uh, we're excited about what, uh, what we're doing. Jonathan's moving in the right direction. We've, we're fast cars. We've got fast cars. We're going 
We're going great, and I think Jonathan likes two a, polls a track already like this that. year. He did two polls, two, two polls top and fives, two top fives. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, there'll be weird. no Matt Hirschman, so we might have a chance because Matt yeah. Hirschman has won three out of the four races at uh, at the Smart Series Tour, so he's the one that caught us and passed us on the last lap, last laps. Uh, so uh, we're thinking our, our chances are pretty good. The car's in actually, great shape. Stefanelli's doing great. I have heard that actually I've heard that Matt Hirschman will be coming, and I hope he does because I prefer when we win. To beat, to beat the best, to beat everybody, including him. So hopefully our guys can get that done. Okay. Well, fine. If he comes, then we're going to beat him. If he doesn't, we're going to beat him who, anyway. Who was our Turning Left moment sponsored by again? The Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Turning Left <laughs> moment was almost, almost sponsored by Lee Talley as a part of the coalition to draft Hermie Sadler to run for state senate. For more information, just keep listening to this podcast. <laughs> That's brought to you by, almost brought to you by, the Coalition to Draft Hermie Sadler to Run for State Senate. And I love that. Well, there you go. Hell, I may there have him just, you know, throw an extra couple bucks on my direction if you're not going to have him sponsor your part. And then I can do Charlie's Waterfront Cafe and the Coalition. What do you think of that? Just pile up your sponsors, will you? <laughs> <Billy> Rose. <laughs> okay, Hermie Rose. All right, man. All right, well, this is a leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator powered by Pacematic. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back with WWE Hall of Famer and Knox County Mayor Kane. Kane. We'll be up next. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for goliathlife.com, but to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean right now. And just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance, if you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance, super easy. Goliath life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price, you start the online application immediately, and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermie Sadler sidekick on this podcast. But when I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem 
is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Kermie. I'm his favorite lawyer. Give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure that we are the lawyers that you swear by and not at. And welcome back to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. And I'm Leaning Right. And I'm former NASCAR driver Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. And what a special guest we have on our podcast today, Senator Stanley, a guy I've known for a really, really long time. Very interesting guy, very accomplished guy in many fields, uh, obviously known to many people across the country for his days in the WWE, but I'm as much or more interested in his life uh I wouldn't say post-WWE, but life today, and that is as the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, uh, Glenn Jacobs. Mayor, uh, been a while. I appreciate your time coming on the show. And uh, how's things in Knoxville, Tennessee? Well, first, thanks for having me on. I appreciate Hermie and, and Senator. Uh, really looking forward to our conversation. Things are good here in Knox County. It's a great place to live, and things are just good. Why politics? I know we want to talk wrestling, too. Uh, but, you know, as long as I've known you, uh, you know, you and I never really talked about politics and your ambitions and those kind of things. But did you always have an interest in politics or did that form later in your later in life? I never had an ambition, but I always had an interest. And the reason I always had an interest is because government politics have such a huge impact on our lives. And I, I can't remember who said it, but basically, if, if, if good people don't take an interest and get involved, well, the bad folks will. And unfortunately, I kind of think that's what we've happened or seen happen across the country. So uh, for me, it wasn't like, hey, I want to do this. This is like my life, lifelong ambition. It was almost more self-defense. Like, um, I, I'm a big believer in the American dream. I was very fortunate, very blessed with my career in WWE. And... I think about where I came from and where my life has taken me. And I wonder how that's possible. And I think the reason is because I got opportunities and I had the freedom, the liberty to take advantage of my God-given gifts and utilize them as best that I could. And when you think about it that way, there's really no ceiling on how high someone can go. And I just want to make sure that my grandkids, especially my kids, but especially my grandkids have those opportunities to utilize their God-given gifts in whatever way they want and to be able to build the life that they want to. How important to you when you started pursuing a political office, how important was the platform that you had from your days in WWE and getting you in front of people and then giving you a chance? Yeah, it was a bit of a mixed bag because on the one hand, yeah, people knew who I was. I had some name recognition. But not all the positive, of course, because there's still kind of that stereotype to some extent. I think that's been broken by people like Dwayne Johnson, John Cena and others who have done things outside of a wrestling uh, in a very big arena. But nevertheless, I was still come sometimes characterized as he's the wrestler guy. So I was able to get my foot in the door because I was a novelty. But then I, I, actually, I actually had to show people that I knew what I was talking about. And it wasn't just some uh, celebrity campaign, which of course is how, how some folks tried to portray it. And it really wasn't. 
Um, and that, I didn't talk about it a whole lot. I mean, of course, I acknowledged my wrestling career. I was very fortunate that a lot of the guys came in and helped me and we had meet and greets using them. But it wasn't like I was saying, hey, you need to elect me because I was a professional wrestler. It was more, uh, please give me a chance because I think I have some good ideas. Senator? Well, it's really exciting because when you when you have and chart a path of professionalism in one area and then suddenly politics pulls you in another direction, you pull all of that experience that you have in that other profession to politics in a way that's unique because you come with a perspective. How is it different being, you know, in politics and running Knox County than it was saying running a business as you were running your own personality in the WWE? Well, you know this, Senator, government is just a lot more cumbersome. It's slow. Now, there are reasons for that. A lot of it is because we want transparency as much as possible. We want to make sure that everybody has a voice. Um, but that does make it slow. Like in your personal business, I'm the dictator. I mean, I get to decide what to do and, and we do it a little bit different uh, here in Knox County and, and really everywhere else. And again, I didn't I didn't understand that when I came in. Uh, we all when we're coming from the private sector, we all complain about um, how slow government is. And of course, there are things that are unintentional that need to be overcome. But at the same time, it's just going to naturally be slower a little bit than the private sector because of things like transparency. And because you know, I can't just do something on my own. I have to go to county commission in most cases, and you know, they have to okay it and, and vice versa. Um, so that that's the biggest difference is it really is a lot more collaborative than what I was doing before. Uh, ultimately, whether it was in wrestling where Vince McMahon would have the final say or <laughs> Uh, in my own business, you know, you had you had someone who this is it. This is where we're going to do things. And it's a lot different when you're dealing with a governmental entity. Now, Mayor, uh, what are your yeah, go uh, ahead, Senator? Well, so in Virginia, of course, I got into politics at, on the volunteer level. I became a chairman of a local unit. I was very active in helping others get elected. I was actually helpful in getting the person who had my seat previously become a congressman. And then they turned on me and said, now you've got to run. And it wasn't in my plan. I was enjoying being a country lawyer, you know, just uh, doing my own thing and, and having a good time living here at Smith Mountain Lake. And it was a real, you know, life changer in terms of what you had to think about, what you were willing to commit in order to make yeah. that transition. And it had to be pretty big for you. Um, you had been a voice of politics, libertarian politics. You had been in that area for a long time. I think you had you have an insurance business, a very successful one. Uh, first, do you do you have to give up if you're the mayor of Knox? Do you have to give up uh, your insurance business, or can you still be a businessman with your wife and do the politics as well? Sure. I, we actually sold the insurance business, uh, but my wife does real estate now, and I really don't have a whole lot to do with that. I could have kept on if I'd wanted to do that, but uh, just practically, it wouldn't have been possible. And of course, we see that, uh, you know, and I'm sure you're in the same situation where other folks have to take a bigger role in your company, in your private business, because you just don't have the time to devote to it anymore. And, and then, of course, there are some practical and ethical, I'm sorry, some legal and ethical issues as far as, you know, we, we couldn't do business with a county. I'm prohibited from doing that like it should be. Um, so, you know, stuff like that, that, that would make make it a little more difficult, put an additional barrier uh, in the way. Um, I was fortunate, I think, because since I was in the public eye already, 
I think it's very uncomfortable for a lot of people when they get into politics and all of a sudden their name's in the paper and people are saying stuff about them. I was I was used to that. So that didn't bother me. Now, it still bothers my wife, uh, Crystal. She's very protective of me. And I'd sometimes have to tell her, you know, don't worry about it because it's, it's the same as as in wrestling. Uh, to some extent, people are reacting to a persona. OK, I'm a Republican. They don't like me because I'm a Republican. They've never actually talked to me. They don't know who Glenn Jacobs is. They just are. are don't like the mayor of Knox County because he may not see things like they do. Um, and those are just things that, that for the person that's never been in the public arena before, it's really hard not to take that personally and not to say, you know, it's not even having a thick skin. It's just realizing, you know, they're not talking about you. They're talking about the position. Uh, and you have to be able to deal with those sort of things. Yeah. And I had the same thing with my wife. When I got into politics, Laura was, she was reading the comments underneath if there was a news article or something that would appear. Right. And these keyboard cowboys would write, you know, Senator Stanley's a yammering, pernicious asshat. And she would get very <laughs> upset. I don't think I've ever been called that actually. That's pretty no, good. <laughs> I, I actually wrote the guy back and said, that was really unique. I've been called a lot of things, but not a yammering, pernicious asshat. And I was an English major. I had to go look up the word pernicious. And uh, and the guy actually uh, sent me a note back, said, really? Is this really Bill Stanley? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah no, that was unique. I, but to her, you know, politics can, can, like an ink stain on your shirt, spread and take over a lot of your life and a lot of your time. You know, even when you go into, say, the supermarket and you're going to just to get a gallon of milk, someone can corner you there for about 20 minutes and you need to talk and listen to them. How has politics changed your life? You know, being on the road, being famous, having autographs is one thing, but how has it changed your life in terms of everyday life, not the decisions you make right there at the mayor's desk, but your life in general. Well, that is one thing you point out. Yeah. Every place I go now, uh, people will talk to me about the, the wrestling thing and still do want a picture and autograph. Um, but then you know, people sometimes bring up issues. Uh, and, and a lot of times, of course, they just want someone to hear them and, uh, there are things that we really can't do because whether it's it's not under my purview because it might be a state issue, it might even be a federal issue or or whatever, but you still have to you still have to give them the respect of listening uh, to their opinion. Uh, in some cases saying, hey, I, I can't help you, but this is what you might want to do. Um, overall, I don't I don't think my life changed that much, um, really, other than, you know, now I feel. Uh, an additional layer of responsibility that I didn't have before. Before it was always my responsibility was was to my family. And of course, now I still have that responsibility, but then I also have responsibility to do the best that I can for the 500,000 people that live in Knox County and the 1.2 million people in our metro area are, that are impacted by the decisions that I make. So I will say that every day I wake up, pretty much the first thing I think about is what happened the day before and what's going to go on today. Uh, and that dominates my thoughts much more than uh, had a really good match last night with so-and-so and what are we going to do tonight? Where am I going to eat and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, well, and, and you know, we always say in politics uh, um, at the state level, the state senate, I get a lot of times back in the, in the years, uh, people will come up to me and say, uh, you, you better be up there giving Obama hell. And I'd be like, yeah, we're kind of, <laughs> kind of close, but not quite. Or, you know, yeah. take on Nancy Pelosi for me. I'm like, I never really see her. Um, yeah. But you're at what we say at the political level. The heat is always the hottest nearest to the flame. You're at the local level. Uh, I imagine being the top, you know, administrator, executive for the county. This has got to be a 10 to 12 hour uh, a day job for you. It's got to be a full-time job, probably a part-time pay. Uh, what are the issues right there at the level 
in Knox County that mean the most to your constituents, to the people that you serve, and the things that you're constantly trying to make better in your county? It's interesting that you point out, I like the saying, that the heat is hot, is closest to the flame. A couple of years ago, Senator Tom Cotton was in town for an event, and we were standing in the back of the room and gets talking, and it was pretty cool because he's he's like 6'6". So for once, I wasn't the only frequently tall politician in the room, which was neat. <laughs> but he looks at me, he says, man, why did you want to do local government? That's really hard. And I'm going, you're a U.S. senator, man. You know, we say my job is hard. So um, they're all different. But I do think that uh, local government is especially challenging. And it drives me nuts when people always talk about higher office, right? Because I'm like, no, local, state, and federal, they're all very important. Uh, and I understand what you're saying, but they all are very important. I would argue that actually uh, the local and state probably more important than, than the federal level. Uh, but that's my own opinion. Um yeah, they are long days, but they're enjoyable because I get to do a lot of things. I get to meet a lot of people. I have my finger of the pulse on our, our community much more so than than other folks are able to. Um, the the big issues probably the same really around the country uh, right now. We're dealing with inflation. Our we're putting together our budget, trying to figure out uh, how we can uh, keep up with the uh, uh, salaries in the private sector and other places so that we can retain the talent that we have at the county. Um, our homing house prices are exploding here. I mean, they're just going through the roof. Uh, we're kind of a victim of our own success. We are a very desirable place to live. So we're seeing people flock here from other areas, much more liberal areas like California, New York, and they're coming with a lot of money and just driving our housing prices up. Meanwhile, the developers, the builders are having supply chain issues, so they can't build nearly fast enough to keep up, which is a double whammy. Um, and then they have the things that you know we, we deal with just all the time. Um, as you, you all know, the opioid uh, and drug epidemic issue is huge in Appalachia, and it, it's very big here. Um, I would say that you know now that the pandemic seems to be tapering off, that's actually the, the biggest public health issue we face by far and one of the biggest issues, uh, as well as you know, I, I think that the country um, has made a wrong choice for many years in education with just every kid goes to college, no matter what, and you take on a lot of student debt and then you try to get a job. Well, you know, how about we actually prepare kids for the workforce by saying, hey, these are the things that you, you're, you're good at and you might want to pursue and providing opportunities and, and for them to explore the different pathways through the trades and those sort of things. Um, but right now, you know, it, it's, it's, for us, it's housing costs. Uh, and I would also argue the opioid and the, the drug epidemic, which also, of course, we're, we're seeing an increase in homelessness. Uh, we, we've dealt with that in the city, but really not at a county level before, but we're seeing more of that in the county. And a lot of that is due to mental health issues as well as addiction issues. You know, we can be in different right. states and have identical issues. And we're having that down the south side. The opioid addiction yep. is exactly the same. We're seeing a lot of, now that there's a lot more telecommuting going along, uh, going on, we're seeing a lot of people that can say, well, now I can live where I want to live. I'm going to live in Franklin County at Smith Mountain Lake. It's driven up our home prices. This used to be a good middle class. If you wanted a, a second home, middle class could afford it. Now it's and now it's way out of hand. It's way out of reach. 
But what I, and, and part of what we do here at the Stanley Law Group is we do real estate settlements. And when I have them at the settlement table and they say, which way do I sign? And I go, hey, that sounds like a nice you know, Kentucky accent. Um, and they say, you know, they're from New Jersey or New York. And I said, well, why did you come down here? I said, well, the taxes are so low. And for this size house and, and my gargantuan government retirement, we can get all this stuff. And then I remind them, I said, well, remember, you came down here because of all the freedom and, and the lower taxes. But you were up there because of higher taxes. So when you come down here, don't vote like you're in New Jersey. Vote like <laughs> you're right. down here in Virginia. And most of them get it. But but sometimes our fear is around here that that we then lose um, the local flavor, and then then those votes infiltrate and can change the way that we do business in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We've seen it in Northern Virginia, um, you know, where that's become very liberal and kind of driving the train now that they're part of the economic success of Virginia. Are you seeing any kind of changes like that with that infiltration, the immigration, uh, the internal sure. immigration of from the north to the south? We worry about the same things, but I feel and anecdotally what I've seen is that the people coming here are refugees. They're not, they're not uh, missionaries. They, <laughs> they don't want to, they, they're escaping and they don't want to change things. In fact, I've had a lot of folks in public when I'm out and they'll say, Hey, we moved here from wherever last year. We wanted to come here because people think like us, because we're more comfortable here. Don't change, please. Um, so I, I think the people coming here uh, are, are conservative folks that are uncomfortable in the liberal areas. In fact, I think overall what we're going to see in the country is an even more dramatic bifurcation between the blue states and the red states. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think that, you know, both the red states, I don't think we've really changed, but I think the blue states have now even gone so much further left that um, I, I couldn't, for example, live in some of the places in, in America. Okay, I just couldn't. Um, I, I love Tennessee. When I leave now and I travel different places, I'm like, now I know why I love Tennessee so much. Um, but I, I wouldn't be able to stay and live someplace. And, and I would be in Tennessee. So I really think what we're going to see is, is the country is not going to become more purple. I think it's going to become more blue in areas and more red in areas as well. I tend to agree with you. And, and in your county, I was looking at your uh your election history, you won your primary by 17 whole votes. Yeah. That's like one family yeah. in a very large camper. Um, <laughs> and then, though, in the general election, you beat the Democrat 66-33, which demonstrates that Knox County is particularly red, not purple. And hopefully that stays that way. Um, when we see these kind of things happening, you know, in politics, as you're saying, you're, you're seeing that bifurcation. And, and that's a very good point. What I'm seeing is a real backlash on this woke culture, the pushing of someone's personal agenda over the rights of another to have a different opinion, tolerance being only if you agree with me. Um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, where we're losing, I think, freedoms and liberties start at the judgmental level of one to another in the way uh, that we choose to believe or the faiths that we have. You know, that's becoming almost the, the division of politics that makes polarization in politics ever more stark and, and noticeable. How do we get back together where we may disagree on how to accomplish something, but we all used to have the same goals? You know, the Tip O'Neill, Ronald Reagan type of relationships we see less of. How do we get back to that, especially whether it's at the local level or you believe at the, the state or federal level? That's a very difficult question. Uh, I don't know that a lot of folks on the left really do have the same goals that say you or I would have, right? Um, it, it's pretty clear that they want 
the woke culture, they want social democracy uh, or democratic socialism, whatever you want to call it. Um, I want freedom and I, I want America. And those are not compatible. Um, you know, my thing is, hey, I, I don't care what you believe. I don't care how you want to live your life. Don't force it on other people. OK, that's just it. Don't use government to force it on other people. But that's what they're doing. And then, of course, you see, like on social media, um, it becomes self-censoring. Because, you know, if you say something, oh, my gosh, it's no longer, you know, hey, can we can we debate and can we look at the points you're trying to make? Now it's you're a bad person because you said this, which two months ago, everyone would accept. Um, so I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. And I wish I did. I think economically some things are going to be solved for us because I think we're going to go through a very difficult economic time uh, and some stuff is going to get shaken out. That's an extremely painful way to do it, but nevertheless, I think that's kind of what's going to happen. Uh, and I wish, you know, I, I wish we could work more with people on the left. And you know, um, it's not monolithic either. There are some good people on the left, you know, who who are more of your, um, you know, your your kind of old school Democrats and old school liberals, which is completely different from what we're seeing from the neoliberals and the woke crowd. Um, so I wish I had a better answer for that. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't. It just seems to be the situation that we're in right now. When you get a better answer, Maybe. can you write it down and send it to me? And I, I will. Try to hear and, if you, and if you come up with one, <laughs> let me know, too. Yeah, yeah. Please. I'll send one to you. Yeah. And by the way, yeah, uh, mayor, Herbie, this uh, is the greatest mayor in the United States. I just want to make sure that's very clear. <laughs> mayor, I don't know if you knew this or not. You know, Senator Stanley and I have been friends for a long time, but what really brought us together we own a race team now together, and we're doing this podcast together. A lot of that was born because we decided, um, you know, the casinos, big casino interests from out of state are starting to infiltrate into Virginia, which is fine. But along those lines, while doing that, there has been a big push by the casinos to ban the play of skill games in convenience stores, truck stops, and restaurants, which is our family business. Uh, I decided, along with the help of Senator Stanley, uh, to fight that. Not necessarily gains or not gains, but the thought of government overreaching into yeah. small business yeah. and picking, picking winners, winners and losers. And so, yeah. yeah, so we filed a lawsuit last June against Ralph Northam, Attorney General Mark Herring, and the Department of ABC because they had the control authority to stand up for that. And we got games turned back on in these convenience stores through an, a temporary injunction. We go back to court, scheduled May 18th. And I ask all that because during this process, uh, Senator Stanley and I have been successful in court so far uh, against government, but it started to lead to questions coming my way as to whether or not I would have political ambitions uh, in the future myself. So I asked that to ask this to you. Do you have political ambitions further than uh, what you are now at the local level at Knox County? I've never been one to plan my life out. Hermie. I, I live by the Mike Tyson creed. Everybody has a great plan until they get punched in the mouth. And that's kind of what's happened to me through life. Um, I really enjoy this job. I'm running for election now. Uh, I am term limited. So in four years, I'll be making the decision about what I want to do with my life. Um, part of the reason I like this job is because I think I'm pretty good at it. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm in a great area. There are a lot of places around the country I could not be mayor because people would not agree with me and I would never be able to get any of the things that I want to get done done and it'd be just too difficult. And I'd be fighting an uphill battle. Um, I do very much worry about the growth of the federal government, the encroachment of the federal government uh, on 
areas that I believe that are under the purview of the states. Um, so I think the one thing we can do, uh, you know, you see in Virginia now with, uh, especially with Governor Youngkin and, you know, pushing back on a lot of the woke culture stuff and a lot of things are happening in schools, you know, but I think our states are going to have to start building firewalls. Uh, I think that's, when we think about the way the country's going, I think ultimately it's going to come down to the states asserting their their proper authority under the Constitution, frankly, which has been uh, taken away from them or they've surrendered in many cases. Uh, so if I do anything, it would be the state level. It certainly wouldn't be the federal level. Um, and I'd have to determine um, not only if it's right for me and my family, but also, frankly, if, if it would be a position that I would be good at and it would just be something that uh, my constituents would would need someone like me to do. Now, Mayor Jacobs, if if you had a friend like I had a friend who was a very activist, well-known in the area, loved by many, had very small businesses throughout an area that could comprise a state Senate district just recently drawn by redistricting, it's an open seat. It's a 5149 Dem, but you need maybe a Republican that can really turn it around, who has personality, who might be well-known, been on TV a lot, drove around in a circle, and that person hypothetically was on this Zoom call in this podcast, what advice would you give this hypothetical person to encourage him to run for the Virginia State Senate? Hypothetically. <laughs> Hypothetically. Yeah, I, I would seriously, uh, it has to be something that you and your family are comfortable with. Um, for me, again, because I've been in the public eye, my family's kind of used to it. It's different, but they're kind of used to it. Uh, if you haven't been in the public eye before, it's a completely different story. Um, you can do a lot of stuff, I think, and you can make our world a better place. You can make our country a better place. Um, you have to be able to put up with a lot of stuff, too. But nevertheless, um, I love seeing people who haven't been in politics get into politics because, you know, we have so many people. That's what they do is they're a politician and that's it. And I don't think that's what our founding fathers had in mind. Uh, when this country was founded, they wanted citizen legislators. They wanted people that knew were there that knew what it was like to be just a citizen and not a legislator as opposed to career politicians, which we see way too much. So I would strongly encourage them uh, to consider it and to weigh everything that it means to get as much information as you can talk to as many people as you can, but hypothetically, uh, would you, would you endorse this person? Uh, yeah, <laughs> hypothetically, hypothetically, I probably would. Yeah. So. Hey, look, I know we're uh, running out of time and you're a busy guy, but I, we have to get a couple wrestling uh, sure. questions in, as you know, I'm a lifelong fan, been following uh, y'all shows and come, you know, coming to shows me and my brother my whole life. But I want to start with, you know, last weekend, obviously was WrestleMania weekend and uh, your longtime friend and partner, sometimes foe, sometimes brother, uh, Undertaker, um, uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. I'm just curious your thoughts on on Mark and his career and everything he's meant to you and the WWE and how special it is for him to get that recognition at WrestleMania last weekend. He's one of those people, if I'd never met him, I wouldn't be where I am today. I mean, he changed my life. Uh, he had faith in me and always helped me and just not only a, a great friend, a great colleague professionally, a mentor. I mean, just everything I could possibly say about the guy. Uh, when we look at the wrestling business, he's got the greatest character ever. I mean, The Undertaker is just is my favorite WWE superstar of all time, bar none. Uh, Kane's right up there, too. But, you know, <laughs> the, the Undertaker is it. Um, so I was just really happy uh, to see that. You know, it's one of those things, too. It's like, 
you know, y'all knew, everybody knew. I mean, he, he's he's a level up from the Hall of Fame, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, yeah, sure. he's up yeah. there with like Andre the Giant as kind of a mythological uh, figure. So I was just extremely happy to see it. And, and I'll tell you, man, his acceptance speech was extraordinary. He did a wonderful job. And I told him afterwards, it's like, if this whole like, get tired of this whole WWE legend thing, man, I could always use a great speech writer. So give me a shout. <laughs> give me a shout if you're looking for a job at some point. Point. I'm just really happy for him. I'm happy for everybody involved. I'm happy for WWE fans as well. Two other quick things, and I'll let Senator Stanley get back in before we close out here. Number one, is your in-ring career uh, done? Are you still got a few little things left in you? And secondly, we're in partnership with Jeff Jarrett at Podcast Heat with this podcast. So I think Senator Stanley and I would both like if you could throw a little bit of shade at Double J on this podcast that we could <laughs> – Get at him on this. We certainly would appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, I don't have I'm, – I'm not going to say I'm completely retired because you never say never, right? Yeah. Um, but I can say that my – Are my you day- saying Vince can be very um, uh, <laughs> persuasive well, at times? It, it's, it's still fun to get out there. Um, but, you know, as far as a full-time uh, thing, no, that that's over at, yeah. at this point. Um, I do still enjoy – going and, and seeing the show and, and interacting with our fans and everything like that. But I have, you know, I, I'm, I'm way too old and I'm not nearly good enough to those people nowadays, both the men and women are just extraordinary athletes and extraordinary performers and I could never hang with them. So I'm, I'm going to leave that to them. Uh, Jeff is a great guy, man. Um, you know, he, he just really is. I follow him on Twitter and I, I'm glad to see where he is in life and I'm just really happy for him. Uh, but yeah, he should come and talk with you guys sometime for sure, too. Yeah, he's been on uh, before, and we'll have him on again. He's been very instrumental in getting us up and going, and uh, I talked to him a little while. I talked to Jeff a couple times a week. Uh, our families are really close. We vacation together and do those kind of things, and <laughs> I, I agree with you. I'm really happy where he is today and uh, the success he's having and the life he's living, and uh, it's it's a, uh, it's really great. So I would uh, encourage people to follow him on Twitter. He starts every day with an inspirational quote and it's awesome. Yeah. And I look forward to it. Yeah. Senator. Well, you know, we were talking earlier about government overreach and especially as it applied to skill games here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. But I, I was looking through your bio quite extensively, Mayor Jacobs. And uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Mr. Kane, Kane, uh, great wrestler that you are. And uh, I, I came across a quote in July of 2020. When the Knox County uh, Board of, of Health, you were on that board, I guess, and you voted against the mask mandate for those inside certain buildings, including small businesses. And this is the quote that I was struck by, and I wrote it down. You said, in defending your vote, I worry that one-size-fits-all mandates such as this set a terrible precedent for government overreach, are difficult to enforce, can cause conflict between the authorities and the public when enforced, and as written, this order places enforcement responsibilities on private businesses. I mean, that is probably hitting the nail on the head in summing up what we have just been through, mask mandates. And those words which you which you said in 2020 are prophetic in the sense that they have come true every single bit of them now that we look back upon reflection of the pande- pandemic in 2022. And it's fundamentally changed society in that way. Um, what moving words that a politician, politicians usually, usually just talk, just, you know, look at me. Um, but this was profound in what you said because it was so true and everybody probably laughed you off the stage and ridiculed you for it. Is that correct? Well, uh, certain people did, but a lot of the uh, business owners, of course, 
and we also this area here in Knox County, we're a conservative uh, area with, I would say, some pretty strong libertarian leanings. Um, so I had more support than many folks would have had other places. But yeah, the, so the, the experts thought I was a lunatic. You went on to say that the health board was a bunch of unelected bureaucrats who cast down edicts <laughs> which carry the force of law with no accountability and no recourse. Again, uh, you're like Kreskin of politics. You know exactly what we're dealing with. But how do these unelected boards, how, how are we doing? How is Knox County doing coming out of the pandemic? When Are we reflective and have we learned lessons or have we gotten ourselves into a trench where this is the way it's going to be, as some of those say, the new normal? I think it's a bit of both. Um, I don't know. You know, we, we always tend to, uh, what did George Santiago, Santiana say, that uh, – if those who don't learn from history are destined to repeat it. Uh, I heard another great quote is those that do learn to history are destined to watch it be repeated. And <laughs> sometimes that feels kind of like where we are. Um, when I think about government, uh, I don't think what can government do for me? I think what can government do to me? And that is, I think, something that we need to get back to, you know, for, for decades, for centuries uh, here in our country, folks had a healthy skepticism of government and centralized power in general. And nowadays, uh, just not as much. Um, so I, I don't know, I think the future will tell. Uh, I, I do believe that a lot of folks have woken up and said, wait a second, um, when we give government the power to do something, they can turn around and, and use that in ways we never expected um, and, and use that what we think at one time is beneficial they can use it as a hammer uh, to in a detrimental way. Um, so I, I'm not sure what the answer to that question is. I think there are some lessons learned. I hope that we can realize that those lessons are applicable going forward. And it wasn't just like this anomaly that'll never happen again. I, I saw something the other day, you know, if government has the power to, uh, or that government is going to assume more power during emergencies, they're going to create emergencies so they can assume more power. And you're, that's just way you're exactly right. Amen, brother. And, and I'll end, he's just show my diversity, Hermie. Uh, what is your favorite moment in wrestling? I know you're in the Hall of Fame. What was your favorite, most cherished moment or, or best moment? That would be my first question. My second question is, how in the heck did you meet Hermie Sadler? How did you guys become friends? Because <laughs> I have an interesting story <laughs> about that. Yeah, to answer the first question, I really have three favorite moments. One is when I won my first world championship. That was in 1998 at King of the Ring at Stone Cold Steve Austin in the first blood match. Uh, that was a special. It was my first world championship, but also it was Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he was on a rocket ship going straight into outer space. Huge star. Um, my uh, first WrestleMania match, WrestleMania 14 in Boston against Undertaker. Uh, again, my first WrestleMania and against my icon, right? My, my mentor. And then number three is actually uh, a month later, we had an Inferno match at the Greensboro Coliseum. Incidentally, I think that's where I met Hermie Sandler for the first yeah. time. Uh, and that was just, a, that was a unique match and something that people still talk about today. But I was Earth uh, coming around to a lot of the shows with the Hebners yep. Yep, uh, back in right. those days, Dave and Earl from right over here in, in Richmond, and I had a little deal with Dwayne Johnson back in those days. He was doing TV commercials for me, and I was giving him cars to drive through my dealerships. But I, I mean, I have so many friends uh, from that industry, and it's like truly, it's hard to explain. It's kind of like a, a men and women, but a, just a tremendous brotherhood of, mm -hmm. uh, of of people that look after each other. You travel together, much like us with the 
NASCAR circus that I traveled with for 25 years. You spend more time with those people than you do uh, with your own family. And, and I will, will, all, will always be grateful um, and thankful for all the friends and relationships I made over the years in, in y'all's industry. What, a, what, a, what an interesting and, and, and great group of people. Yeah. One of the things that uh, I've learned is really when you want to talk about getting along with other people and you want to talk about diversity, WWE is a wonderful example. Because as you said, it, it's it's men and women, it's people of all different colors, all different cultures, all different ethnicities. I mean, I have friends that I have friends that are black. I have friends that are uh, from Japan. Uh, I have friends that are from the South Pacific, and we were all just the same because we were all pursuing a common goal, which was to put on a great show. And in the end, that was it. But I'd also have their back, and they'd always have my back. And then I found out, hey, these are you know. These are very interesting people. I like to hang out with them too. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, as you said, just fascinating group of people and a really good group of people too. Look, I appreciate your time. I know you're busy and we like to have you back on, you know, sometime down the road, several months after you uh, get further down the road and, and uh, you share similar beliefs and interest. And we, as we've discussed similar issues in Virginia that you're facing in Tennessee. Uh, but I come to Knoxville about, uh, once a quarter, uh, at all of my truck stops, we have a, a dealer licensing agreement with Pilot Flying J. So I come to see yeah. uh, Mr. Haslam about once every uh, two or three months. So next time that I'm out that way, with your permission, I'd like to rope you in and maybe have a lunch with all three of us and, yeah. and sit down and, you know, and chat. But I do love coming to Knoxville and, you know, and uh, have a lot, of, a lot of good friends out there as well. But, Glenn, thank you so much for your time, and we wish you uh, the best of luck uh, in your career. Uh, moving forward. And we appreciate what you're doing because I think Senator Stanley would agree and concur. You all making a difference. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, and Senator, if your hypothetical friend hypothetically <laughs> yes. agrees to the hypothetical of running for Senate, please give me a call. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> hypothetically, I will hypothetically give you a call when the hypothetical is removed. I might have to hypothetically, hypothetically move in with one of y'all if I do that. <laughs> it's great talking Thank to you. Thank you all so Really, much. what, what an you. honor. Thank you so much. Thank you so Thank much. You. This is Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. We'll be right back. And we're back. Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. Uh, Senator, what a interview, what a guy, what a story yeah. from Mayor Jacobs out of Knox County, Tennessee. That, that is, I mean, what a guy. Uh, uh, to come from wrestling, um, to become a mayor of, a, of, a, of Knox County, you know, that's quite a career change. And, but to be as articulate and have all the emotions uh, that he had about being passionate about politics and helping people, but also his viewpoints were just incredible. I mean... Wow, he's my favorite senator in the—I mean, favorite mayor in the United States—and I'm I'm glad uh, I told you to have him on. So that was, you know, good planning on my part. I chose I chose not to tell him while he was on. Thank you. That when I sent you the email telling you that I had Kane uh, lined up to be on the show, you were in session at the time. Yes. And you emailed me back and said, "I'll I'll paraphrase." Why, why are we having some dopey mayor from Tennessee on the podcast? That's not even paraphrasing. I think that's word for word what I t- 
type back, yes. And what did you do in response to my? So do you have any remorse for that statement? Oh, absolutely. When you sent the when you sent the picture back showing that it was Kane in probably his most intimidating, scary photo ever produced by WWE, and I said, "Oh God, kill me now, <laughs> take me now, Lord," because I was like, uh... "And then so I got to thank he... you as a friend that you did not bring that up in front of him. I was waiting." Uh, <laughs> So I owe yeah, you. He's one. only seven feet tall and about three hundred and sixty pounds. And yeah. hey, but I, I mean, he's doing a great job. The people in Knox really County is. are fortunate uh, to have him uh, as their mayor, and we'll certainly uh, get him back on. He said he is running for re-election, so I'll we'll kind of keep up with that and and get him back on the show at some point. But a lot of people to thank. We want to thank um, your leaning right sponsor, uh, which is who. The leading right sponsor was Charlie's Waterfront Cafe and the Virginia Tasting Cellar in beautiful downtown Farmville, Virginia. And who was the turning left sponsor? It's almost who? It was almost the coalition to draft Hermie Sadler for Virginia State Senate. Almost brought okay. to you by. Almost. Yeah. That's good. Could be. It's been a story of my life. I'm going to pay the 60 bucks. <laughs> I'm sending almost. it Almost. All right. Everything I've ever tried to do in my life has been like right here. We've almost got a good podcast. That's right. Getting better every week. We almost won at South Boston last week. Almost. Getting almost better every things. week. Almost. Yep. And uh, almost got you running for state senate. Getting better every almost. week. We'll see about Close, that. Close, but no cigar. We'll see about uh, also, that, Obrey. want to and need to once again thank all the people at Pacematic uh, for coming together to give us this platform on the podcast. Also, their support of Sadler Stanley Racing. Uh, Senator, this has been a fun one. I think uh, I hope that people will enjoy hearing from Mayor Jacobs, aka uh, WWE Hall of Famer Kane. And uh, we appreciate all the support, all the feedback. And uh, we'll see everybody this weekend at Franklin County Speedway. That's right. Now the uh, gates open at one. The race goes off at five, and we're going to be having a great time over at the uh, at the tents. And so come by and say hi to Sadler Stanley Racing and and our sponsor Pacematic. Uh, we'll have some uh, Sadler Stanley Racing merch, shirts, sweatshirts, hats for sale. Come get some, and uh, and it should be a great race on a great racetrack. I'm Virginia right, State Senator. Well, you stepped right on it. All right, let me start over. Three, two. I do that a lot too. I step <laughs> on it a lot. Well, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, next podcast episode my crew, topic. My crew over the years has told me many times when I came in from a qualifying lap, they would tell me you stepped on it. You know. Not the gas, unfortunately. Oh, gotcha. All right. All right. Here we go. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. And I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. And this has been another episode of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pace of Madden.